So the first thing you may know this is my voice sounds like absolute garbage. I came down with a bug at some point this weekend. I was able to drink some tea and project extra loud and kind of fight past the scratchiness to get today's monologue recorded. And it did the trick, but now my voice is just absolutely shot. So I don't really want to talk much anymore. What I will say, though, is if you are a fan of the show, please once again like it, subscribe to it, leave us a five-star rating and review from wherever you're listening, and share it with your friends. That's the best way to help the show out at this point of the game. All right, enough jabbering and chin-wagging from me. Let's get into today's episode, which, well, funny enough, is all about the right to jabber and chin-wag. Without freedom of thought, there can be no such thing as wisdom, and no such thing as public liberty without freedom of speech. Benjamin Franklin, 1722. A movie, a work of art, a book, a popular dance or song, an iconic photograph, a grotesque exercise in moral debauchery, a debate between two candidates, a fashion trend, an obnoxious billboard or lawn sign, and the everyday conversations you and the rest of us have about an endless assortment of important and unimportant things. Each of these things by themselves are simply just what they are. Collectively, however, they are the embodiment of entire civilizations and cultures, and that is a profoundly powerful force. A force which is effective and good only if left in the hands of those to whom it belongs. That being in part, you. Welcome back to your Bill of Rights podcast. Today we will be continuing our exploration of our First Amendment by examining our right to the freedom of speech, otherwise known as the Free Speech Clause in our Bill of Rights. If this is your first time with us, then I encourage you to at least go back and start with Episodes 1 and 2, as the definitions and theories we focused on there will help make today's episode make a lot more sense. As for the rest of us, let's begin exploring the third right found in our First Amendment regarding freedom of speech. We'll begin by examining our First Amendment as a whole. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or prohibiting the free exercise thereof, or abridging the freedom of speech, or of the press, or the right of the people peaceably to assemble, and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. In the last episode, we touched on the importance within the First Amendment of the opening five words, Congress shall make no law. We learned that Congress is actually a stand-in for all government authority, Everyone from the president all the way down to a local city worker is bound by the restrictions within our Bill of Rights. But it does something more. The entire amendment is actually a series of prohibitions against the government. Therefore, Congress shall make no law applies to every single right listed in here and legally is and always has been read as such. This allows us to put an ellipsis behind Congress shall make no law and then plug in whichever right we happen to find in question. Today, for example, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech. Now, some key definitions within our free speech clause. As always, we will be using Webster's 1828 Dictionary as the definitions within this volume would have applied to our founding fathers in their time. Abridging, to deprive or rather to take from. Freedom, a state of exemption, which circularly means freedom, from the power or control of another. And speech, the faculty, or more plainly the ability to, other 
or rather speak articulate sounds known as language, to express thought. We will add a vital second definition as well. Speech can secondly be defined as any expression of thought, any being the key word, and we'll explore that more in just a second. With those definitions in mind now, Congress shall make no law abridging the freedom of speech could be read in more detail as the government can't ever take from us the ability to express our thoughts using language or other such forms of communication because we can express those thoughts whenever we want in whichever manner we see fit. Now let's get back to that second definition. Over the last two and a half centuries, our Supreme Court has wisely and rightfully used this definition to bring as many forms of expression into the fold of what constitutes free speech as possible. Now, as I've said before, we are not a history or civics podcast, so I will leave the fascinating series of cases, legal analyses, and tests used to perform this encapsulation for you to discover sometime in the future. For now, we will simply just break down each category of speech. Most obviously, the spoken word is recognized as speech. This also applies to the written word as well. For what is thoughts put to paper, or in our modern day, a social media post, if not speech in a legible form? Our freedom of speech also forces the government to recognize symbolic speech as a form of free speech as well. A painting, for example, is symbolic speech, as are things like tattoos. They are symbols designed to convey a message, which is undoubtedly speech. The last form of speech we are entitled to is expressive conduct or expressive speech, and this one casts a very wide net. Expressive conduct can be just about anything, whether in the form of a film, to a music album, to wearing a black armband or sagging your pants, and even in some more extreme cases, marching down the street in a Ku Klux Klan outfit or burning the American flag. All of these things and so very many more are things we do or create to convey a message or idea and are therefore considered free speech. Natural law dictates that man has the ability to express himself by use of speech in all its forms. This is a natural conclusion if we look at it from two different perspectives. First, we will examine the more philosophical angle. In the last episode, we established man's natural inclination to believe, to think and reason and process. These thoughts do not and cannot exist in a vacuum, isolated in man's mind because man is not an isolated solitary creature. We gather and group together naturally to form families, neighborhoods, cities, states, nations, and cultures. And we've been doing so since before we even walked upright, or since life was breathed into us from the divine, depending on what you believe. How does that happen? From keeping all our beliefs and ideas to ourselves? If we did that, civilization would then become impossible. It is the inclination to speak, to express our thoughts that allow us to turn them into action and grow into the families, communities, and cultures that we naturally seek to form. Now, let's look at it more simply. Man has the natural right to speak because this is something man does naturally. We have vocal cords designed to make noise, to express intention and desire. We naturally develop language and possess proclivities to form that language into stories and songs, opinions and laws, and even nonverbal things such as painting and dance. If expression through speech was not a right, then we would not have been born with the ability to produce speech in order to express ourselves. So, since this is a right all men have, and all men are created equal, meaning no man has a right to deprive any other man of his right to speak freely, and governments are only ever made up of men, then once again, we can conclude that government has no right whatsoever to abridge our freedom of speech. That doesn't mean they don't and won't try though, but we will get back to that in just a bit. Admittingly, free speech is a messy and chaotic field. Each of us are unique with our own unique thoughts expressed through speech in our own unique way. 
With more than now 340 million of us here in America and counting, along with the ability to see and hear more of those 340 million than ever before thanks to the internet, there are bound to be some methods and means of speech that leave a little more than a little something to be desired for each of us. Might signs on your neighbor's lawn endorsing a political candidate you despise annoy you? Might you find a comic book or video game with gratuitous violence problematic? Does rap music contain too many profanity-laced misogynistic lyrics? Does a young woman walking out and about in a crop top and daisy duke strike you as too revealing? Would you find a man with profanity written across his t-shirt to be in bad taste? Would you find a man using racial slurs to be abhorrent? Is a book that features graphically explicit sexual scenes between a teenage boy and an older adult male borderline criminal to you? Do you feel that hardcore pornography featuring actors who are playing the roles of siblings or stepdad and stepdaughter to be disgusting? Is a group of white supremacists marching down the street in your town something you'd never like to see? Is an artist who portrays your god in very demeaning ways critically offensive to you at the deepest levels of your soul? We've listed many examples here, and no doubt you have your opinions on all of them. The important thing to remember, though, is that each of these, despite whatever level of distaste we may have for them, are examples of our natural right to freedom of speech. Even if you personally find them to be damaging to a healthy society, and may even want to see something done about it, the answer is never governmental interjection through means of abridgment. It is vital to remember that speech in all its forms is simply just our thoughts expressed. We've already learned in past episodes that our thoughts, what we believe, are the very essence of who we are as human beings, as they dictate our conscience and reasoning. An attempt to suppress control or eliminate speech is an attempt to suppress control or eliminate thought and belief itself, which is in violation of natural law. Not only because it's impossible to do, but also because it creates chaos. The chaos can occur in one of two forms, the most obvious being the history of mass imprisonment and death by the dictates of tyrannical rulers whose personal beliefs for what was good for all was not to be challenged. Countless numbers of people deprived of life and liberty due to their government's self-appointed and false authority to suppress speech. In the modern era of history, this is typically done by tyrants for the supposed public good, or rather, for the good of the people. In this context, many speech suppression laws have found a great deal of support, but what happens when those laws turn against those who support it? A government with the authority to suppress speech you don't like can and ultimately will end up suppressing speech you are in favor of. The Soviet Union is a fantastic example of this. For years, Vladimir Lenin rallied against Tsar Nicholas and his suppression of the rights of his people to challenge his authority, only to then turn around and outlaw just about every belief that wasn't his own once he took power. The other way this chaos comes about is through the suppressed speech itself. An individual or group whose speech is suppressed or abridged grows bitter and resentful. This is because their very beliefs are being suppressed and thus they are not allowed to think and therefore live freely, as we have covered before. This resentment can lead to chaotic revolts which dismantle a society, and history has shown this many times as well. This is because ideas chased into the dark often grow in the dark in ways society cannot see and thus are unprepared for when they resurface. Due to our freedom of speech, no such example exists here in America, thankfully, but we can look again to the Soviet Union using the same example as before, only from the opposite perspective. 
The Tsarist government drove Lenin's socialist movement underground through means of imprisonment, banishment, and execution. It was there that it actually grew in popularity, not only because it showed how suppressive the Tsarist government could be, but also because the pariah typically gains favor with people who have a natural inclination to distrust authority. The Soviet Union became such a force that it was able to overthrow the Tsar quite easily because it quietly gained support in the dark. What followed was even more death and despair than ever before. Might things have ended up differently if, instead of suppressed, Lenin's ideas were openly challenged? It's clear now to see that suppression of speech by the government can never lead anywhere good. It simply just creates chaos. But once we acknowledge that every man has the natural right to speak freely, whether through spoken word or pen or otherwise, and that suppression via the government goes against natural law, but we also adhere to the fact that ideas form society and culture, then the only logical combatant to speech we don't like, to ideas we take issue with, is more speech, not less. Speech in opposition to speech we find distasteful or otherwise problematic. This is typically known as debate, which is absolutely a form of expressive speech and a very important one. Minds and the ideas that come from them cannot be suppressed forcefully by outside authorities. They can only be changed by the singular authority within each individual's mind. This means that we must be allowed to put our speech against the speech of others and let people decide for themselves what is best. In other words, let them pursue their happiness, which is their right. This cannot be done if speech is suppressed or otherwise abridged. For how can society make informed decisions on their future if they do not have all the possible information at hand? How can society know where the poisonous ideas are or how to combat them if they are pushed into the dark? This is why when it comes to speech, no matter how offensive you may find some of it to be, sunlight is the only natural and therefore best disinfectant. A free society should never aim to ban speech of any kind, but rather create counter speech against it. Show why your way is better provide examples and then live by them. History has always been on the side, eventually, of the better idea, and civilizations have thrived because of it. Basically, fight bad ideas with better ideas, not suppression. The latter never has worked, and it never will. Unfortunately though, this natural law argument in favor of the freedom of speech has and will always fall on more than a handful of deaf ears. There is no bigger enemy to the tyrant, whether in government or day-to-day -day life, than your right to defend against their bad ideas with your better ones. We have all known people who simply can't accept when they're wrong, or refuse to accept responsibility or admit when someone else is right. We have all known individuals so entrenched in their beliefs or ego that they carry themselves as if they know better than the rest of us. Psychology will show that these are the characteristics of individuals with weak sensibilities. Weakness often seeks to compensate with power, and this is typically why we find individuals with these traits in positions of authority, including and especially within our government. Thankfully, so far, free speech seems to be so ingrained within the American spirit that even our history's most constitutionally incompetent politicians have shown little interest in violating our free speech rights in mass, and our courts have adjudicated against the government more often than not when they have and have helped to uphold our free speech rights in broader and broader ways throughout the last two centuries. But lately, there seems to be a rapid and frightening shift in this regard. Our country has never faced a more authoritarian attack on our right to free speech as we do right here in the modern day, and our courts are struggling to not only keep up with the infractions, but also struggling to levy our Bill of Rights against modern day political tactics. While it's true that our government has no ability whatsoever to infringe or abridge our freedom of speech, the same cannot be said for private entities. 
We will discuss this in much greater detail when we explore our Fourth Amendment, but for now, all we need to know is that private entities are free to make up whatever guidelines and restrictions they want within the boundaries of their domain. But what if said private entity was working with, receiving funding from, or being coerced by the government to implement those restrictions? This is the sneaky and dangerous tactic that our government is applying this very day. In recent months, it has been discovered by independent journalists that the government had been working in secret with social media companies over the last five years especially to suppress and limit certain information from reaching a wider audience. You may recall Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Google banning and shadow banning accounts who expressed negative views on the COVID-19 lockdowns, as well as the mask mandates and the vaccines that followed. Reports have surfaced of social media and internet companies helping the federal government to find and then use the IRS and other three-letter agencies to threaten and intimidate certain individuals who were outspoken regarding the trans movement, Antifa, or Black Lives Matter. You may also recall back in 2020, accounts getting shut down for discussing now President Joe Biden and his family's potential ties to corruption via his son's laptop, or for calling into question the results of the election that same year. For those interested, there is a rather extensive and braggadocious article by Time Magazine floating around explaining exactly how this was done to ensure Joe Biden a victory in that election. Regardless of how you may personally feel about these topics, groups, and events, our freedom of speech allows us to voice both support for and opposition against each of them. For the last half decade, our government has continuously skirted around our Bill of Rights by having private companies abridge our freedom of speech for them. Given that private companies can make up whatever rules they want, as well as do business with whomever they want, this has created what is known as a constitutional crisis, a problematic scenario that has arisen in which our constitution has not yet made clear a solution. Can a private entity still be considered private if it works in tandem with the government to support the government's interests? Should they not be held to the same constitutional restrictions if they are acting as an extension of said government? This is the issue we face today, and it is absolutely unprecedented. There have been many cases argued and theories developed to limit government authority and separate church and state, but never before have we as a nation needed to develop theories and argue cases to limit private authority and separate corporation and state, which in itself can go down very paradoxical and even unconstitutional roads. Without a doubt, though, free speech must be protected, not just by our court system, but by each and every one of us. Without the ability to freely express our thoughts, especially those directed at our government, thought itself becomes jeopardized. If thought becomes jeopardized, then we as individuals become jeopardized and cannot live freely or pursue our happiness. Any tyrannical government relies on the ignorance of its citizenry to further expand its oppressive regime, and so it is education that will save us in the end. We have to know what we are allowed to say so that they can't tell us that we can't. However, there are some very narrow limitations on our speech as well as very sound natural law-based arguments to explain why. If we are determined to protect this most precious of natural liberties, as we should be, then it is imperative not only to know what falls within the boundaries of free speech, but also what falls without, as not knowing will absolutely be used against us in the years to come. And that is where we will continue next time. We hope you have enjoyed this expansive exploration of our free speech clause in our First Amendment. 
If you have found a great deal of value in today's episode, please join us again next time as we take a look at the things that do not fall within our freedom of speech. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Your Bill of Rights podcast by Jerkcat Entertainment. This show was written with the following titles as its sources. The Bill of Rights by James Madison. The Declaration of Independence by Thomas Jefferson. The American Constitution by the Founding Fathers. The Know Your Bill of Rights book by Sean Patrick. The Bill of Rights, Understanding the Constitution and Your Freedoms by David L. Hudson. The Bill of Rights Primer by Akhil Amar and Les Adams. Behind the Bill of Rights by Bill Norton and Jeremy Nelson. In Our Defense, The Bill of Rights in Action by Ellen Alderman and Caroline Kennedy. Webster's 1828 Dictionary of the English Language. Nature, Goodness, and God, The History of Natural Law Theory by Carrie Neatherman. An Essay Concerning Human Understanding by John Locke. The Essential Natural Law by Samuel Gregg. The Book of Deuteronomy from the Torah and New King James Bible. The Rational Bible, Deuteronomy by Dennis Prager. Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. How to Run a Country by Marcus Cicero. And a various array of letters, correspondences, and essays by several of our founding fathers, including but not limited to Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, George Washington, and John Adams. All music is from EpidemicSound.com and is remixed at Beer and Bourbon Studios. A special thanks to Jessica Castle for the opening quote. Your Bill of Rights podcast is recorded, mixed, and mastered at Beer and Bourbon Studios and is a product of Jerk Cat Entertainment. Copyright 2024.